Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Economic encouragement to U.S. Democrats say they're willing to restart stimulus talks. Tick-tock ticking. Time's running out for a deal with Oracle again. And misinformation and mayhem, a special report on how social networks are disrupting democracy and more. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Thank you for joining us this Friday as another historic day unfolds in Washington, D.C. The casket bearing the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg will soon be taken to the U.S. Capitol, where she will then lie in state, the first woman ever to be given that honor. Those proceedings are set to begin just after 9.30 a.m. Eastern time this morning, and we will take you live to Washington the moment that begins. For now, a look at global stocks were mostly lower here in the United States pre-market after a pretty volatile week, to say the least. Asia also finishing the week pretty mixed. Shares of Hang Seng-listed Chinese property developer Evergrande, one of the biggest in China, by the way, has tumbled some 10 percent on reports they're facing a cash crunch. It's being viewed as a too-big-to-fail test for the Chinese government, so certainly one to watch. Let's bring it back to the United States. The Nasdaq trying to avoid a fourth straight week of losses. We retraced earlier pullbacks yesterday on reports that House Democrats are working on a new $2.2 trillion financial aid plan. There's a big jump, of course, between that and actually getting both sides around the table to agree a deal. And that remains the key. The S&P, meanwhile, did bounce from near near 10% correction level. That's 10% pullback from recent highs once again, helping us along to some positive vaccine news. Novavax is the latest firm to start late stage phase three trials of its COVID vaccine. It shares, as you can see, up some 6% pre-market. So we're back to the science and the stimulus and the politics of all of that, wherever you are in the world, not far behind. Let's get to the drivers. Top U.S. Republicans, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, have promised an orderly transfer of power if President Trump loses the general election. Earlier this week, the president refused to guarantee a peaceful handover when pressed on the matter. Joe Johns joins us now. Joe, uh, the message seems to be uh, democracy will prevail. Your vote will count. It could just take a bit of time to reach a decision. And that's the message. That's the message that most election officials around the country are trying to push. And quite frankly, it is the states that handle elections much more so than the federal government. Nonetheless, the president of the United States, for the second day in the row, out there essentially refusing to commit to a peaceful transfer of power, once again repeating his baseless claims that there will be massive fraud 
in this year's election, and there's really no evidence of that. In fact, the president is getting pushback from high places, including his own hand-picked FBI director, Christopher Wray, testifying just yesterday, indicating there is no widespread fraud and there has been no widespread fraud. He's also gotten uh, pushback now from the administration. In fact, the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, just a little while ago on national TV, as well as right out here on the North Lawn, um, putting out some pretty spicy quotes, if we, you will, including saying that perhaps Ray needs to get involved on the ground and he would change his testimony on Capitol Hill. He was also asked if the president still had confidence in his FBI director and Meadows, the chief of staff, said he couldn't speak as to whether Trump has confidence in Ray. So uh, we have the administration at different sides of this controversy, depending on uh, who's in what office. Uh, what we also know is the president's allies up on Capitol Hill, many of them have tried to tiptoe delicately around the issue of fraud or no fraud, but what they do say uh, to a fault, many of them, is that there will be a peaceful transfer of power. Julia? Yeah, it's very worrying. The last thing we want to do is discourage voters to, um, to go out there and vote, whatever their preference of, of party or president. Very quickly, Joe, I mentioned the stimulus negotiations or financial aid. We can't ignore the economy. Probability that a deal can be reached before the election. Uh, there is still a, a degree of talk about that here. Nonetheless, both sides are entrenched in different places. The White House and Republicans looking for a very skinny deal. Democrats looking for a much more expansive deal to help people in the country. And there's some indication that both sides see an advantage to taking this issue into the elections and letting voters decide uh, who they want handling uh, this issue of more aid for Americans as we suffer through the coronavirus pandemic, Julia. Yeah, quite frankly, it can't come soon enough. Joe Johns, thank you so much for that. A new weekend, a new deadline for TikTok. The US ban on new TikTok app downloads is now set for this Sunday, but the courts could stop the clock once again. Selena Wang joins me now. Selena, the story that never ends. Where are we on this deal and what do we have to watch for this weekend? Julia, just when we thought this deal couldn't get any more convoluted, it does. Now, ByteDance had filed a motion to essentially delay this impending Sunday ban, and now the U.S. government has until Friday to decide if they're going to agree and let this delay for this ban continue, or if they're going to oppose it by filing court papers. If they do oppose it, then a hearing will be held on Sunday. Now, sources have told us that the companies and U.S. regulators are hoping to finalize a deal before the end of the weekend. If they are successful, that means this entire ban could be lifted and we don't even have to worry about a delay. But Julia, that is a massive if. Trump needs to approve this deal and he has given wavering statements on his views on the deal. Earlier this week, he said that he was not going to approve this deal unless Americans had control of the company. And this question of control and ownership has been very contentious. We've gotten conflicting statements from the companies involved. Oracle recently coming out and saying that ByteDance is not going to have any stake in this company. ByteDance, meanwhile, putting out a statement that they are going to continue to have 80% ownership in this new entity, TikTok Global. 
sources have explained it to us that it's going to look like this. Essentially, ByteDance's international and Chinese investors are going to have a partial stake in this new entity, but ByteDance itself is not. And if you add that existing previous investors in ByteDance plus Walmart and Oracle, that would, our sources say, bring American ownership in this new TikTok entity to more than 50%. And that then would allow the Trump administration to claim a sort of victory. It's like looking at a bowl of spaghetti, quite frankly. I don't know how you keep on track of it. In, in, on track and in line with all, all the details on this. Very quickly, I believe that ByteDance, or I read that ByteDance has requested a, a technology export license from the Chinese government. Now, the last I read on ByteDance was that they said they will not transfer technologies or algorithms to Oracle as part of any deal. So why would they need to apply for an export license if they don't intend to hand over the technology? Julie, like every part of this deal, it's incredibly confounding. You're right. ByteDance had said that this deal does not involve the transfer or sale of any technologies, though Oracle will be allowed to review the source code. Beijing had updated its rules so that any transfer sale of technology to a foreign buyer would basically require Beijing's approval. So this includes technologies like data processing, speech, tech recognition text recognition. Those are all important for ByteDance and empowering TikTok's recommendation algorithm. Unclear exactly what Beijing is looking for in this approval since, as I just mentioned, it doesn't involve the sale of technology. But what is clear in all of this is that Beijing wants to have leverage. They're just not going to make it this easy for DC to dictate this company. And as we saw from state media, they've called this dirty and unfair and bullying and extortion. Yes, they have. Slita, it feels like deja vu from last Friday where we were debating whether or not I would download TikTok before the, uh, the deadline hit. We can continue to debate on social media over the weekend. Selena Wang, thank you so much for that. We'll, we'll do I it. I heard it's your birthday, so maybe today is the day to download it. Very naughty, Selena. Yes, I keep that one quiet. Thank you. All right, let's move on. Mm. Tokyo slimming down next summer's Olympics with the pandemic driving concerns about big gatherings. The organisers are now revealing how they'll be scaling back the games. Will Ripley joins us from Hong Kong. Will, the, the story here is that they're still planning to do it at all. It feels like a, a political and economic salvage operation here. What do we know? Hold for a second, though, Julia. Today's your birthday. Happy birthday. Allegedly. <laughs> yes, it is my birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Will. <laughs> I'll tell Thank you, you what. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 next year. And every year oh. it's, I, I say there's less and less need to celebrate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things. Uh, but yes. 25 feels great, Will. Happy birthday. Birthday's a great day. <laughs> I don't mean to be. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Olympics, right? Because we've already run out of half of our time here. Uh, the, the bottom line with Tokyo 2020 is that Japanese organizers are saying, with or without a vaccine, they are going to hold these games. And they're trying to make them seem as normal, you know, whatever normal is now as previous games. But there are going to be some really big differences. And I think they're going to be noticeable. Uh, we're talking about reducing the number of spectators by 30%, even though millions of tickets have been pre-sold, some people paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for seats. And now they have to wonder if they're going to be able to get into the event that they wanted to see. You have the delegations from the countries also being cut in size by 10 to 15%. They're looking at canceling some ceremonies and events that aren't really necessary and simplifying the big closing, the big opening and the big closing ceremony uh, simply because of cost. Uh, one 
problem and one reason that the Olympics have been so deeply unpopular uh, amongst many members of the Japanese public lately. They were thrilled to get the bid. But now you look at public opinion polls and most Japanese say they don't want the games to happen because they're just so darn expensive and it's going to cost billions more to move them back by a year. So by getting rid of like, for example, the smoke machines, apparently they can save money. Uh, they, you know, they can scale back some of the, some of the dazzle that we expect to see, but they're still hoping to retain the spirit and the essence of the games. But some of the perks that athletes and their, and their handlers are used to, like this you know, luxury transportation, all that, that, that might go away. But they're still trying to calculate, Julia, how much they will actually save as a result of this. Um, in terms of health-wise, we don't know how spectators, people coming into Japan are going to be treated. We don't know if there's going to be a vaccine. We don't know if there's going to be a five-minute COVID test. But for athletes themselves, the plan right now is they don't have to do a 14-day quarantine because there's just no way for an Olympian to do that. But what they will have is at least five COVID-19 tests before they arrive, just after they arrive, and basically leading all the way up to the competition itself. And that's in addition to having their movements tracked by an app and by their respective governments, and even having to submit a plan of action ahead of time saying, on this date, at this time, this is where I'll be. And they're going to, be, they're going to have to stick to it for this tall, tall work, Julia. Yeah, I mean, it's austerity-style Olympics, isn't it, by, uh, by comparison, but safety comes first, and hopefully the science yeah. will look very different uh, by the time we get to summer of next year. Will, great to have you with us. Thank you. Will Ripley there in Hong Kong. Thanks. All right, more to come after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and a look at how social media is influencing election strategies and voter perceptions ahead of the U.S. presidential election. Ardonia Sullivan investigated the impact of misinformation on some Trump supporters. So we've come to a Trump rally in Bemidji, Minnesota today to ask Trump supporters what they see when they open their Facebook feeds. No one has been more wrong more often than Biden. The November 3rd election result may never be accurately determined. On that post, is there any label or fact check or anything? Yeah, they have a little thing at the bottom that says voting by mail has a long history of trustworthiness in the U.S. <laughs> Are you a Facebook user? I use Facebook, yes. Yeah. What sort of pages do you follow on there? Uh, anybody that agrees with me. <laughs> Only people that agree That's with you. Right. You don't want to That would be a Republican, an anti-abortion guy, and uh, pro-gun, and pro-beer. But do you not think it would be good to, to follow some pages of people you disagree with, see their opinion? No, maybe because they call me stupid, ignorant, you know. Why would I follow people that throw rocks at me constantly because they don't agree with me? I got tens of thousands of people that do. So Trump, his campaign, a lot of senior Republicans over the past few weeks have been sharing doctored and manipulated videos on social media. Now, the Trump campaign and Trump supporters will often say these videos are clearly jokes. They are memes. People know they're memes. People know they're fake. When they say, well, this is fact checked, it's wrong because it's taken out of context. Like when Joe Biden fell asleep during a live interview on television. <laughs> Claimed that he fell asleep. I think that was an edited one, right? That was... I didn't think it was. It looked pretty live to me with no cuts in it. Joining us live this morning from New York. Hey, good morning. Wake up. 
Yes, wake up, up, wake up. Okay. <laughs> this is your wake up call, Harry. Is this the video that you're talking about? Could be, yeah. Biden following. Should I watch it really quick? Sure. So this is Washington Post. Uh. <laughs> so an article there is saying that, that it that it was faked, but it looked real, right? I mean it looked real. Well, I mean I definitely wouldn't doubt that it would happen. Even if it is fake, does it change your opinion of, of Biden? God, no. You got to sift through it. I missed that one, but it was a good laugh. It was a really good laugh, and like I said, I wouldn't doubt it. A lot of people we spoke to today are sharing posts on Facebook that later get fact-checked by Facebook's third-party fact-checkers. Anything I put on there about our president is generally only on for a few minutes and then all of a sudden they're fact-checking me saying this, that, and the other thing, which I know is not true. Their fact-checkers are their fact -checkers wrong. They'll right away go to the conservative sites and say, that's wrong, then they pull it. And they're, they're not going to the liberal sites. And, and them are the real lies. They're the real liars out there. Also circulating online, more insidious forms of misinformation, including baseless claims about Vice President Joe Biden being a pedophile. Do you guys seriously think that Joe Biden's a pedophile? Yes, I do. But that's just I feel my he opinion. Is. I feel he's part of the game of the whole thing. That baseless, fabricated claim about Biden is circulating among supporters of QAnon, a conspiracy theory that the FBI says is a potential domestic terrorism threat. Some of these false claims have been amplified by the president himself. The FBI is saying QAnon is a dangerous conspiracy theory. Does that make you think for a second, hang on, should I be following this thing? No, because QAnon is bringing up the bad things about the FBI. That's why they're saying it. That's why they're afraid of it. Danielle Sullivan reporting there, and that was just one side. It's clearly a problem for supporters of all, both parties in the United States. And it's just a small subset, too, of what users are facing. The question is, how did we get here? Well, a new Netflix documentary says we're being manipulated. Here's a quick look. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. The director of The Social Dilemma, Jeff Orlowski, is now with us. Jeff, great to have you on the show. I have to say, I wasn't surprised when I watched this documentary, but I know many people who were shocked, really shocked. Yeah. Was that the intention? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, when we were doing our research, it was very shocking to me. Uh, so uh, I think for sure the hope was to share some of those revelations with the general public. I think there are people who, it's kind of ironic, there's a, there's a conversation around filter bubbles. And there's a filter bubble of people who know about what's going on in tech. And then there's the rest of the population that kind of don't know what's going on behind the screen. And in many ways, the film was designed for that audience. There was a brilliant bit at, this, in the, in the, at the beginning of the documentary where a former employee said we were just 50 white guys in Silicon Valley yeah. able to influence yes. 2 billion people. And I have right, to say right. the hairs on my arms rose because that's exactly what's going on in many different it ways. Is. It is. I mean, a handful of engineers are programming 
our entire society at this point. Um, and that was one of the things that I realized. You know, we, we all interact with these devices every day, and the phone itself isn't the problem in my mind. Screen time, like there were some concerns there, but that's not what's causing the, the real polarization and the breakdown in mental health and the breakdown in politics and civil discourse and conspiracy theories. Those are happening through these platforms that we don't pay for. There, there's a saying that we have in the film, if you aren't paying for the product, you are the product. And what that results in is this kind of domino effect of consequences all through this one business model, this micro-targeted advertising business model that is having impacts on teen mental health, having impacts on democracy as, as a whole. I mean, you do pay because you pay with giving your data. And I think the the documentary spells out very, very cleanly how this data is yeah. used. It's right, manipulated. Right. It's used to predict people's right. behavior. And then it's used against consumers effectively to monetize right. them. But to your point, it has the it has an echo chamber effect where people only really see yeah. the views that they already agree with. Absolutely. And the clips that you, you just played a second ago is a perfect, perfect example of what we're seeing for everybody. You know, when I was working on the film, I started to learn that Russia was pushing out anti-fracking propaganda. And I had a stance on fracking. Then I had to really question, like, why do I think what I think? Why do I believe what I believe? Um, if I, I've told many friends, if you are getting your news through social media, I'm not going to trust your opinion on news and politics. Um, it, it's really th these platforms have broken and distorted our entire information like ecosystem at this point. Um, the way that news and information is distributed in our world has been morphed through these platforms. It's interesting because some of the employees as well were saying, look, we started out just trying to connect people. There was a, yeah. a, a utility value, a good purpose for doing this. And it almost right. became Frankenstein's monster and it, and it got out of control. Social media is yeah. a drug. That was one of the other strong lines yes. from this. Yes, yes, I, I absolutely. Um, I don't, I, I feel a lot of empathy for the tech insiders who went into this very innocently or very positively trying to build tools that would help society. But they went down this path, this inherent vice of designing around a business model that was not compatible with society. I, I draw the same parallel to the fossil fuel industry. You know, when we first discovered fossil fuels, it seemed like this great opportunity for humanity and civilization to travel farther and to have more power available to us. And only years later did we realize, wait a second, there are some really bad consequences to burning fossil fuels. The same thing with our technology. We're realizing a decade into this, the consequences that this business model is having on breaking down out the fabric of society itself. Oh, speaking of that, uh, former Facebook executive Tim Kendall, in, in this documentary, he said his biggest short-term worry was civil war. Yes. And I think you look at what's going on in the United States and the anger and the conflict between two political parties two months out from an election. And... Right. <sighs> It resonates. It, it does. Um, you know, we did that interview over a year ago, and um, we were constantly asking ourselves, okay, if this thesis is correct, if this, you know, if this mindset here around what this technology is causing to society, happening, creating in society, what will this look like a year out or a few years out? And that was sort of this trajectory that, that we always had in mind. And Tim Kendall's line around this will lead to civil war. It just it feels everything's boiling it up more and more along those lines. Um, 
it has been harder and harder to have conversations with friends that you might disagree with politically. And just based on that, that clip from a few minutes ago, we're all operating off of different facts now. We have different facts that we're bringing to the table. How can we as a society possibly have a shared conversation when we are coming with a completely set of uh, completely different backgrounds mm. on an issue? Jeff, we have about one more minute to discuss this. If I had to criticize, I would say it comes down to self-help and users mm. ultimately switching mm. off notifications yeah. or fact-checking. What I, about the tech yeah. companies? What about lawmakers doing more? Exactly. Exactly. I, for me, the self-help mindset is problematic just from the same perspective of climate change. To say that, oh, we're only going to solve climate change by you not driving or you not eating meat, it's missing the entire system at play. These are systemic problems and they need to be solved at the systemic level. Um, with our uh, the tech that we've created now, the only paths forward in my mind are either the tech companies change their business model from the inside, um, where they can do it with their own control and power and can set up the terms of how they want to change, or it's going to be forced to happen through regulation. Um, and politicians are going to have to continue to learn more and more very quickly around what exactly is going on and how to regulate it to serve in society's interest. You know, these things have become public utilities at this point. They have become a public square, and yet they don't have any of the regulations that we would with any public utility. Um, so the, the, I think there's a lot that individuals can do to sort of protect themselves. Right? I, I've been suggesting that people do a reality swap. If there is that person that you disagree with, look at their Facebook feed, share them your Facebook feed, you know, swap Instagram or Twitter feeds so that you can see what facts they're being, you know, shown every day and they can see what you see every day. And you can start to have a more meaningful conversation and break down and fact check and get to the, the root truth of any particular issue. Um, but those are all Band-Aid solutions, right? Th that's all just like an individual small thing to kind of protect yourself, protect your own mind and your own brain and your own family. Um, but really, this comes down to a huge systemic change needed to come from the tech companies themselves. Yeah. And regulators, though. I think social media yes. needs regulating. I actually think all forms Absolutely. of media need better regulation, quite frankly, mm -hmm. in, in this country, too. Yes. From the former employees that you were speaking to, and we can pick out Facebook just because it's so topical. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I have to go. How depressing. We will reconvene oh. on this conversation. I oh, say that a lot. Absolutely. Jeff. We'll talk offline. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for the time. Great to have you yeah. with us. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. The director there of The Social Dilemma. Everyone needs to watch this, uh, this documentary. But that's it for me. I have to be quiet. I'm going to hand you now over to my colleagues Jim and Poppy for coverage of the memorial for the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.